Hi everyone, and welcome to the Two Cents Footy Podcast with me, Jeff, and the true Geordie's infamous export, JP. And we're on episode number 12. Uh, so on this week's episode, we're going to be uh, covering the tragic uh, loss of um, one of the most famous and best managers England's ever produced, Terry Venables. We'll do a quick fire segment, uh, a sum up of the Premier League and the UEFA Champions League, uh, a review of uh, the Euros. We're going to start covering that and we'll introduce that more. So a preview of, of the Euros, uh, a pie and a pint segment. And I'm going to be covering a little portion on the Women's Super League um, firsthand. So, but firstly, uh, JP, how's your week been? Yes, yeah, going okay. Um, not too bad from a Sunland point of view. Um, it's been terrible, <laughs> but um, on the other hand, it's we've had some really good, entertaining football games in the meantime. So yeah, all right, thank you. How are you? Great. Fun week. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, I really enjoyed. I I will cover this in more detail later. But um, yeah, a good weekend interacting with the WSL, and um. Yeah, doing a bit of improvised comedy for my sins. Uh, my team Swindon have just won two games, albeit they have really tested my sphincter in both occasions, which will probably disgust some of our listeners who have a more visual memory. Um, but yeah, no, a phenomenal week in the football world. Um, so much going on, and we, we could spend probably four hours doing this episode um, on episode number 12. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be quite targeted in, in our approach and just try to cover what's the most important uh, and, and whatever grinds our gears or makes me lose my, my little barnet. <laughs> I must so, say I'm really looking forward to our little 24-week countdown of the Euros. <laughs> Can't wait to get that started. Sorry, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's 24 weeks or is it 22? Well, Something like that. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember. It's around about that mark. I think we've given ourselves was it twenty four weeks to cover each team or whatever, <laughs> and then that then gives us a week or something before the Euros. So um, probably the longest countdown ever, but should be good fun. <laughs> it's the final countdown, as we say. Um, but yeah, one one of the most anticipated Euros from an England perspective, and we we will get to them. Uh, obviously hosted within Germany. So great, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, so firstly, uh, sad news in the football world. Um, we lost um, Terry Venables, who was our England manager between 1994 and 1996 uh, in, the, in the men's team, taking uh, England to the semi-finals of the Euros that year, infamously beating the Netherlands, who had a phenomenal team in the run-up uh, to that tournament, including previous Champions League winners. And just incredible quality like uh, Johan Cruyff, Clarence Seedorf and Dennis Bergamp, Patrick Cliver as well. And he managed in total 864 games, uh, had uh, an amazing uh, also footballing playing career beforehand, inclusive of Chelsea, Spurs, QPR and Palace. And then he managed Barcelona, QPR... Palace, England and Australia uh, having um, an incredible impact on some of his players. Gary Neville was saying that he took his arm around certain players and mentored them and, and put them in different positions to test them in new ways, bringing this European flair and creativity to English football, um, which I guess broke a lot of hearts in the Euros of 96, including our very own Gareth Southgate. Um, but he provided this almost um, father-like figure to the footballing nation, um, and includes, including an incredible squad at the time of, of players like Shearer, Neville, Gaza, um, David Seaman, uh, Teddy Sheringham, and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, a, a sad loss, um, but... What a life to celebrate! Uh, incredible uh, amount of life filled in those years, and um, yeah, 
that's that's Terry Venables. So um, just moving on to a bit more of a lighter topic. So we're now going to move on to our little quick fire segment. Uh, I'm going to hand over to JP. Cheers, Jeff, and, and very well said around Terry Venables. Um, but yeah, let's get some life into into the pod with a bit of quick fire questions. I've got five for you again, Jeff, and mainly either or. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Question one: Ganacho's bicycle kick or Wayne Rooney's bicycle kick against Manchester City? Oh, I'm glad you've made it multiple choice. It's too complicated otherwise. So tough, um, but I think Garnacho's overhead bicycle kick just just showed extreme skill, ice in his veins, and uh, just just especially away away from home it just demonstrated so much composure under pressure and it's probably one of the goals already of the season if not the decade <laughs> yeah i think you're i think you're right with that um yeah i think garnacho's was way cleaner than, than wayne rooney's but um yeah shame for i think um michael alise of palace who also scored a an absolute wonder goal against luton oh, <laughs> and such 24 hours later and he won't even get goal of the month so um but no i agree with you on, on that yeah i mean as, as as wayne said you know it's great to hear that when your own fans boo you as he would say so. <laughs> cool question two aek athens or brighton uh, I'm going to say Brighton, but what you mean in terms of a place to live? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, there's so without sort of John being here, I thought I'd get a, I... an honourable honourable mention of Brighton. But they're tonight playing AEK Athens in the Europa League. <laughs> um, oh, bit of breaking! Yeah, they've actually won one nil. <laughs> <laughs> Good prediction <laughs> with Jao Pedro. So yeah, my prediction was, was what a, what a, I'm going to give you the lottery numbers, JP, next week. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so John will be a very happy boy at the moment. Okay. Oh, he'll he'll be probably in a skip somewhere, just um, filling up a few buckets from his ten pints. <laughs> Question three: Newcastle United or Manchester United? It's going to be Newcastle United. Should be. Um, they're actually playing this weekend. Um, in the Prem, it should be a very intriguing game. Newcastle down to their sort of bare bones because of injuries and United, or Manchester United, just doing Manchester United things at the moment. So um, that should yeah. be a good one. Yeah, they've melted away, Man United. Obviously, we'll go into it more in the in the roundup, but they just seem to have this leaky defence and, and Onana is um, slightly on the downtrend. So yeah, we'll, we'll cover that in the, in the roundup. <laughs> Question four. This isn't a multiple choice, but hopefully you've got an answer for it um champions league winner <laughs> wow oh uh, that's that's really tough it's hard to predict i think um i'm gonna uh, yeah i'm torn between munich by munich and man city just because the way again pep has those players almost in anaerobic respiration. They're able to go into gear seven mm. in the title contention race. So uh, I think Man City, but they're definitely weaker than they have been losing folks like Gundo. Previous to that, in the previous chance, transfer window, Jao Cancelo. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're just a little bit more shaky than they have been, but still. Yeah. Nice. I think that, yeah, I think you're right this year. It's going to be more hotly contested than last year, where it was um, Man City versus AC, wasn't it, in the final? Mm. And I think it was a bit of a walkover. But yeah, I tend to agree. I think this year is going to be, there's a few more teams in and around the mix, I think. <clears throat> final question for Quickfire Kylian Mbappe or Mohamed Salah? I think on current form, Mbappe. But overall, Salah. 
Uh, but yeah, Mbappe. No, <laughs> tricky one. <laughs> tricky. I, was, I was thinking about that um, as well, sort of before. I think, sort of, based on sort of current form, it's kind of hard to sort of pick because I think they're both on pretty good form. I mean, both within the domestic leagues, anyway. But um, yeah, that was a that was a tricky one. You could go either or. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's half of how do you say six of one and half a dozen of another. It's one of them just. Based on current that week form, Mbappe has scored in the in the UCL. But yeah, good no. quick fire questions, mate. No problem. And so I guess that takes us into our next little segment. Great, and that's back to you. Um, we'll do a yeah, we'll do a review of the Premiership, the Premier League, and the UCL. Um, a roundup of those two. Cool. Back to me in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, a very, I guess, entertaining week potentially in terms of the prem. Uh, lots of goals, a few sort of shocks, and some absolutely amazing goals as well. But just to sort of point out a few of the, I think, the key results over the weekend that we had. So we had. A blinding result for Newcastle against Chelsea. So four-one victors um, in that one. But I think, I mean, for me, the pick out of the bunch in terms of result is Luton Town winning two-one against Crystal Palace. I mean, we, I'm going to say we've sort of downplayed them a bit in terms of their ability and them sort of being able to get the points and get results, and it's quite funny that it's happened on this the same week that Everton have been docked points <laughs> so um I know last week we kind of mentioned that we fancied Everton to sort of get out still so um I think that's the pick of the bunch but um Jeff in terms of that result for Luton does that give you any more hope that Luton will survive and put Everton under any more pressure due to the points reduction It'll certainly give them confidence, yeah. I think they're two goal scorers. Was it Mengi and Jacob Brown? It's their first goals in the top flight. And, oh, yeah, that, that was a belter of a game. It, it showed such huge resilience. I think it was even in the last minute, Palace hit the post and then they went straight away on a counter-attack and then Adebayo uh, got a shot away, just about saved by the keeper. It's tricky. I mean, yeah, Luton have a tricky run in. <laughs> they got Arsenal and Man City in the next uh, week, pretty much. And Newcastle, in fact, just for Christmas. So they've, they've kind of got points that you'd expect them not to pick up. And then they've got achievable games around them. So Burnley, Sheffield, United, Bournemouth, and even Brentford at this weekend. It's. You'd think they'd have to dip into the transfer window. Um, I don't know. What, what, do, what do you think? Do you reckon that they've got a better shout with Everton? Yeah, just to give you give it your thoughts as well. Yeah, I think it's probably a win that's come at a, a really good time for Luton. And I think yeah. we said very early on in terms of our first few episodes that home form is going to be absolutely critical to a team like Luton. And so them sort of coming up with a home win against Palace, who are a decent established Premier League side, I think it's a huge result for them. And I think, like you said, it's, they're going to get massive confidence from that. So, I mean, hopefully, it, I guess for them, they're going to sort of build a bit of momentum based on that. And I mean, you never know, that might just give them something which they can make and try and hold on for in terms of later on in, in the season. Um, I still think... It's going to be a tough ask for either Luton, Burnley or Sheffield United to escape the drop. I think, although I guess the other standout result was Man United winning 3-0 against Everton, but although Man United won 3-0, I think Everton showed some really, really good bits of play within that game. And obviously that wonder goal from Garnacho <laughs> was something special. So, yeah, I, I, still, I still sort of agree with in terms of our opinions last week that Everton will, will still make it out of the drop um, 
but yeah, very, very interesting results um, and just full of goals this weekend. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a recap. Was there any sort of results in there that sort of particularly caught your eye, Jeff? So, I mean, obviously we had a, a you know an amazing goal from Trent in the City Liverpool matchup where he tried to silence the fans. So, just incredible composure. It shows him in that midfield role. Uh, or, or almost like um, wing back role, providing such good options uh, for the Liverpool attacks. The, the big result for Liverpool, not to concede more points uh, against City. Haaland reached 50 goals in the Prem, one of the quickest, if not the quickest ever. Yeah, quickest by a long way. I think by about 18 games or something ridiculous like that. It's just huge. I mean, Unfortunate red card for Rhys James, as you said, uh, for Chelsea, which contrasted to his sister, Lauren James. <laughs> he got two goals for Chelsea in the WSL, and then he gets a red card for kicking the ball away and then tripping Anthony Gordon. So, it, it, yeah, just a, a real contrast for the, the James parents that weekend. Uh, yeah, and then we had, you know, obviously... You know, Arsenal proving resilient both in the Champions League and the Premier League, you know, with Kai Havertz on target. So, um, yeah, a really, you know, tantalising mix. Spurs obviously dropping points against Villa. So kind of Unai Emery's regime is is proving infamous against uh, Ange. So, uh, yeah, it's an absolute bumper game. But yeah, I totally agree with you, Luton was probably the standout of the lot just because it it's huge to get that home win uh, this time just before they're against Arsenal and Man City. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. I mean, I watched the Man City-Liverpool game and I must admit it was a bit underwhelming. The actual game as a spectacle and as a neutral, I actually think Liverpool were very lucky to get a point out of that. I think the VAR decision against Man City for their second is another I can't understand why the hell it was given but um yeah that's what was decided and Liverpool get the point um mm-hmm. so they they move on and Arsenal end up as top of the Premier League after that round of of weekend results which is good for them and we've got a bit of a title race hopefully hopefully hotting up a little bit mm-hmm. oh and just again to for our friend John She's not here with us uh, this week, not with us in general, but with us this week. Uh, yeah, obviously they kind of squeaked a yeah squeaked a win against Forest, didn't they? Three uh, two, but Dunk sent off within thirty seconds, which is I don't know if that affects his England selection in twenty twenty four. You know, could we risk that composure, that hot headedness? Same with Reese James. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I mean, Reese James, I think, will be a question. I think mainly due to his injuries. Um, I actually would like to see Lewis Dunk in the England squad selection for the Euros. Um, I'd actually, in terms of my ideal two pairings starting, I would probably have John Stones and Dunk as my two. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> I think the way that Brighton play is exactly what we need as an England team for our attacking players. And similarly to Stones and the way they play at Man City, um, I mean, obviously that's that's my opinion. Not, I'm not so sure Gareth will actually do that, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I do rate Dunk. I think he's one of the best ball playing defenders we have at the moment. But um, yeah. Mm. yeah, plus leadership as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's interesting. So no Tamori, and um, obviously no Harry Maguire. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, I mean, and Gwehi. Yeah, I mean, I probably, I probably take Maguire and Gwehi. I think, um, I mean, I take Maguire for the tournament experience. I mean, although, you know, his performances are sometimes questionable for Man United. He's done it in the in the tournaments. He's had some experience, so I think he's he's well worth taking, but um, not for me in terms of starting. Yeah, it's, it's it's so hit and miss, but you know he's he's actually been very you know 
I say that some good blocks in the game against Galatasaray, but uh, not comprehensive enough. Uh, JP, did you want to give a, a brief summary or brief overview of the Champions League? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Champions League, we're coming towards the the business end of the group stages from, I think, uh, the fifth games were this week. And again, very topical. Um, we had a bit of a blockbuster in terms of Paris Saint-Germain versus Newcastle United. Um, that's the game that I watched out on the Tuesday, on the Tuesday evening. And Newcastle won the luck and 90, I think, I want to say 95th minute penalty to PSG due to a VAR calling uh, for handball. And I'm not sure if you've seen it, Jeff, but I just think that is probably one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in terms of VAR so far. And it has had some bad ones this season. Um, essentially, the ball has the PSG players has crossed the ball. It's hit the Newcastle's players' stomach slash hip, and it's then come up and hit him on the hand. And they've, it's gone to VAR review, and the referee is, has given it. Uh, I just feel, I mean, this is coming from a Sunderland fan as well, but I think Newcastle have just been absolutely cheated out of that game. Um, I feel I feel really sorry for them um, because I think they, I mean, they were hanging on for dear life in that game. Uh, less, and PSG had some really good chances and, you know, Pope's made a few really, really good world-class saves to keep them in it. I think it's just such a shame that it's come down to a call like that, which now essentially means that it's not in their own hands to qualify um, into the last 16. Um, yeah, I just think it's an absolutely baffling decision. And the fact that it's come from the most, the top ranked official in the world at the moment as well, I think just asks serious, serious questions. I mean, I've, I've done some research online in terms of getting reaction from from people and there's some people on social media saying oh yeah but in Europe they give handballs for anything if it touches the hand it's going to be a penalty well that's that's a flawed argument to me within that game itself there was another situation where the Newcastle player where the ball hit his leg and it came up and hit his hand and they didn't give that so that whole argument around it them giving handballs for anything is absolutely to me um and yeah i i just think it's an absolute disgraceful decision i really do um so i'm i'm siding with the newcastle lot after that game i'm not sure if you've got any opinions on that jeff yeah it was a, a scandalous wasn't it i mean just especially given the game was so fast-paced and exciting up to that point uh with obviously zach with his goal and then uh, a lot of peppering of the Newcastle goal. Nick Pope was phenomenal. Up to the, you know, it's not his fault, the VAR decision. But yeah, just tired legs, as you said, injury prone. And um, yeah, to be honest, Nick Pope really stood out as, as an amazing goalkeeper. But yeah, just a crazy, crazy, crazy decision. And even though the VAR official has been stood down from doing the next day's games uh, again i think for real sociedad he needs to hold his head in shame <laughs> uh there's what's the you know what's the right of appeal what's the process for a game that's already been finished you know what is there anything newcastle can do well, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything that they can do now in terms of what how it's going to affect their Champions League campaign. I mean, the results there, they've got a, they've drawn the game. Nothing's going now is going to give them the three points, which is ultimately what they probably deserved and what they would have hung on to just about had that penalty not not been given. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately for, for Newcastle fans, it's, you know, they might get in a an apology which no one really wants <laughs> but um yeah unfortunately they're gonna have to suck it up and, and try and move on which you know in their first champions league appearance for i want to say 18 years um 
and it's come down to a I feel like with English teams it always comes down to a referee or a refereeing decision whether it's club or country um yeah, it's just it's very unfortunate and yeah feel for them yeah so it's a liver liver mentos arm slash hand was in a natural position it's not an unnatural position and it wasn't a deliberate action if something comes off your chest and ricochets uh, especially at that fast pace what can you do about it it, it takes the so yeah realistically you can understand why eddie howe is fuming that's going to cost them a lot of money although they're the saudi backed team <laughs> so then is it really that much of a problem yeah it's true they they might just buy a few more players next year and it'll be all be fine in terms of financial position <laughs> yeah just you know a few more a bit more firepower in the jan window some of the injuries that they've got but yeah, yeah. just that's a side side note question in fact i mean we're going back to england but the, would you would you actually still pick pickford over over nick pope 100 percent, yes because of sunderland connection no i i mean it might be but no generally i think pickford is overall in terms of the way england want to play he is the fit in terms of the england goalkeeper the problem with nick pope is it's not that he's not a bad goalkeeper is he's very awkward when it comes to passing out from the back and pinging those those balls in terms of shot stopping we've seen it he's world class um, so I've got no, I've got no issues with that. Um, I think the way the game is going, um, you do need to be good with your feet, and I think that's where Pickford edges Nick Pope. Probably a different argument if Ramsdale's playing week in week out for Arsenal, because I think Ramsdale's a very similar keeper to Pickford. Um, I think his downfall at the moment is, to me, he's now second choice at Arsenal, and so he's now at risk. In terms, because I thought for the next Euros he could probably come in and be number one. I think he's now risking his position now being second choice at Arsenal. Um, having said that, I do really rate um, Sam Johnson from Palace as well. I think he's a good good keeper. Um, I don't think he's going to be the number one come the Euros, but um, yeah, that, I mean that's just my thoughts on the Pitford versus Pope. Um, yeah, makes total sense. Uh... Yeah, Pope, Pope has had just not comfortable too much with his feet, the way that England like to play out from the back, especially with, with Maguire as your protection. That's that's like having a a plaster for a flesh wound, but uh, yeah, that's maybe a bit harsh. But you know what I mean? He, I think, did he not get sent off for kind of bad occurrence of, of playing out from the back? I'm just trying to remember last season. Oh, Nick Pope. Nick Pope, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did have a um, an occasion where there was a bouncing ball or something like that, and he so, came out and I think, yeah, essentially took out the player or or something like that, and yeah, got sent off for it. So again, you know, would you risk that if you're against France, Mbappe, Chumini, <laughs> all of these worldies that are, yeah, just incredible. So, yeah, I'm I'm probably. I think Pope's dragging himself more in contention, as well as, as you said, Ramsdale's lost his permanent spot. So, yeah, it's it's probably maybe one last major tournament for Pickford, and then perhaps it will start opening up. Uh, did you have anything else in the Champions League? Yeah, I guess a few more sort of honourable mentions. There were some very big high-scoring results in Wednesday night fixtures. We got a 4-2 to Real Madrid against Napoli, where... Surprise, surprise, Jude Bellingham, he's done it again, scoring and assisting, and he continues to break records for the the Galacticos. Um, we had a 6-0 battering <laughs> for Arsenal against Lens, um, which was, I mean, they'd already qualified, but to to do that, and I think they've now cemented top spot, um, is obviously really good for them, and they seem to be getting a little bit more out of Kai Havertz now, who obviously got the winner against Brentford. He also got the opener, I believe, against Lens. So we might be seeing something there. And that's actually a very interesting point, considering we're covering a certain team a bit later on in the Euros. (laughs) Um, And then finally, 
the game that I watched on Wednesday, Galatasaray versus Manchester United, mm. a free-free draw. And wow, that was, for a neutral, that was a very entertaining game. Absolute hammer and tong in the last 10 minutes. And it could have gone either way, but Man United once again um, conceding while they were two goals ahead on two two occasions. Some huge errors from Onana. And so, yeah, brilliant game for the neutral. Not very good for if you're a Man United fan who look like they might not be qualifying potentially. I think they've got Bayern Munich next. So, um, so <laughs> you know, they've really got a, a hill to climb if they want to get anything in the Champions League. But that was a brilliant watch. Um, but yeah, they're just sort of my honourable mentions um, out of the rest of the bunch, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm always in favour of uh, an English club beating for a French club 6-0. That, that's fantastic. So, yeah, that was six different goal scorers, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Crazy. So good. Arteta's got them working. Yeah, uh, exactly. Man United, Galatasaray. I mean, again, Garnacho had a bit of a worldie. Bruno Fernandes, very unlucky not to get... What was it? A, a fourth goal for Man United in the 84th minute hit the post. But then, yeah, Hakim Ziyech, the, uh, <laughs> I guess the shatter of a lot of Man United's dreams over the years has, has pulled through again. That atmosphere, though, to, to... It's still a good draw, but as you said, it's not quite enough. But, I mean, that atmosphere in Istanbul is, is ferocious. Mm. But to, to get... A sniff, but yeah, they have they've thrown away what was it three one at the time? McTominay had scored. Yeah, they were two 0 up and then three one up. Three one up, yeah, <laughs> that's it. How do you solve a problem like United? Uh, never ending. Um, yeah, it does seem like one step forward, five steps back at the moment for them. <laughs> it's entertaining enough to see Gary Neville's get a few more wrinkles and Roy Keane. Uh, Sort of losing it a bit. <laughs> so um, I think that's a good segue onto Pine a Pint. So uh, yeah, as as uh, John's wife has introduced to us, we keep crediting crediting her with the idea. Pint is for who we think has performed exceptionally, team player. Referee, well, that never happened, will it? Uh, or a pie, metaphorically, a pie in the face, uh, which is a bit of a, a kick, a bit of a micro punishment on the pod for anything uh, that we've seen as, as as a bad situation. So, JP, pie, pint, and why? Cool. So, I just realised both of mine from the same club. <laughs> Um, but um, my pie for this week is going to go to Onana, um, especially for that second goal conceded against Galatasaray yesterday. What a horrendous mistake that was. The ball's come in, it's hit his elbow. He could have caught it, it looked like, and it's hit his elbow, fumbled into his own own goal. I mean, he was at fault for the first one as well, um, and he just had a. he's having a tough time. And yesterday night was just a a horror show for him. So he's getting my pie. That was a really, really bad couple mistakes. However, my pint is going to go to Garnacho. Um, surprise, surprise, I guess. Um, for his unbelievable goal against Everton, obviously followed up against Galatasaray, but just for that goal against Everton, I think he deserves a, a pint. I think absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant technique. I'm not sure we'll see anything like that anytime soon so yeah and that show for me for my pint and what flavors of each i'll give uh, i'm gonna give um, onana a nice big mince pie <laughs> as, we come in, as we get into the festivities and for garnacho we'll give him a pint of san miguel i reckon i imagine he'd like that yeah or it might, might be underage in some countries isn't he so he'd have to have a non-alc beer <laughs> yeah, maybe just a, a Coke Zero or something. <laughs> <laughs> Get a fruit shoot. <laughs> yeah. No added sugar. 
Uh, great mentions. Yeah, exactly. Man United. Uh, as you said, tale of two worlds. And how about for you, Jeff, for your pie and a pint selections? Cool. Tricky one. A lot of choice this week. Both sides. But yeah, I think my pint would go to Anthony Gordon. He's providing so much pace, energy, distribution. Unlucky to not get more assists, really. But yeah, got a a worldie of a goal against Chelsea. Making Gareth Southgate's life difficult. Just providing uh, just a really different dimension uh, on that wing. So he's really come into his own since joining them from Everton a year ago now, almost. And uh, yeah, pint-wise, it would be it would be a London pride. Although I don't think you can get that up in Newcastle. For my pie, uh, it's going to be opposites because you chose Lauren James as uh, the pint last week. Uh, yeah, it's be Rhys James as my pie this week. I just think he's shown, uh, unfortunately, a bit of lost temp, uh, a bit of a downplay on, on ten- temperament and discipline and it's again not ideal coming into a Euros campaign uh, as we'll keep going into he again will always show that pace and intensity on the wing but where you can't maintain your discipline just tripping Anthony Gordon fully enough they were in the same game uh, but also just kicking the ball out to get the first and then uh, the first yellow as well it just showed a bit of uh, just a, perhaps a lack of maturity. Obviously, still very young. I think he's twenty-three, so he'll he'll continue to improve. He'll be a big option, I'm sure, in the future for England and for Chelsea, of course. But yeah, just not ideal. I think for the pie, it would be a chicken shawarma with lots of garlic and chili. That'd be stingy for the eyes. So we're now segueing into Euro 2024 in Deutschland, in Germany. Phenomenal uh, stadiums, phenomenal footballing uh, prodigy. Germany has it going into next year. And so um, we're going to start doing a 24-week countdown with, as JP points out, who's better at maths than me, a week spare. Um, his project managers managed this out. It's all on a year board. It's also on a spreadsheet with milestones, deliveries, and a product initiation document, which will be very well read. That's enough product management jargon. Anyway, 24-week countdown, Euros next year. So we're going to start off with a look at Germany, who have been the old guard, who England seemed to fear, and then busted that fear in the previous Euros. and in numerous friendlies across the years, but especially the last Euros at Wembley. So Germany have uh, a really... They're almost in a transition phase. Would you say that, JP? Um, They're they're a really interesting side. Um, I mean, the the starting point I did for any sort of research is normally the bookies. (laughs) And so... That's where I started with Germany, and they're currently ranked, I think, third favourites for the comp. So, I mean, obviously, one of the favourites behind sort of England and France. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; they're in a, they're definitely, I think, in some sort of transition. They've only recently hired Julian Nagelsmann as their their manager, so he took over in in September from, I want to say Hansi Flick, was it Hansi Flick or was it uh, Low? Low, but then low, I thought went uh, yeah a little bit before then. Yeah, I think it was um yes, Hansi Flick. It was Hansi low Flick. Hansi Hansi Flick. Um, after and so Hansi Flick got the the axe when they lost to Japan four <laughs> one. It's the way um, it's the way it's Hansi. It just sounds like it's something untoward. It's like a <laughs> don't get Hansi with me. Yeah, sounds a bit dodge. And so they've 
got in Julian Nailsman as their man to lead them into Euros 24, who's had a lot of experience. Well, he's a young manager, but he's had a fair bit of experience in the Bundesliga with likes Varby, Leipzig and Bayern Munich. Mm. And I'm, yeah, I think his task has to be to get his team into a position where they're playing and using the talent they have because they have some seriously talented football players in there to give them the best opportunity to win that competition. I think they go into that thinking we're going in to win it. Um, my experience of Julian Nailsman, I think more from an RB Leipzig point of view when he was there was they always played with high intensity um, and were always very energetic in the way they're doing things in terms of the press and playing out from the back and stuff. And and so it'll be very interesting to see what he does. I mean, their start so far, so he's had four games in charge. He's won one, drawn one and lost two. And the, oh, sorry, he's won two, I think, rather than, than yeah, so he's won two uh, rather than one. And one of them was against France, believe it or not. So we were discussing last week. <laughs> we were discussing who could beat them last week, and well, Germany have it on their record this year that they have beaten them. I mean, I would say it's it was a um, it wasn't a full strength French side, but you can't you can't knock the knock the defeat or the win. Yeah. Sorry, um, you hear that France? You're crumbling like an yeah. apple crumble or a soggy bottom on a merry berry cake. <laughs> their other win came against the US, so I mean. Not as impressive, but um, their two losses have come against Turkey and Austria. So not the most renowned teams, but um, the, I think the funny, well, I say funny, the interesting point with those games was that Havertz actually started at left back for both of those games. Um, what the hell? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, so another string to Havertz's bow is now playing at left back for Germany. <laughs> But obviously it didn't work because they lost both against Austria and Turkey. <laughs> you'd hammer that. You'd hammer that on the right channel if you're the opposition. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... I mean, it's obviously hard to predict. I think they've got some real stand-up players. I've got some players down on my list, as I'm sure sure you do have, Jeff. But I think... Yeah, go for like, it. Like you said, they're, they're real... Um, in terms of their real sort of football pedigree in terms of um i think it's four world cups and three euros so that you know they're they're a huge international team yeah more more recently not but um yeah i guess do you want to should we sort of name some of the key players and and a bit about their squad let's do that so yeah i mean as you said they've got a pedigree but you know from an england point of view we hope that remains the same where they don't yeah, uh, so just to name a few, I mean, Leroy, Sane, Serge Gnabry, Kai Havertz, as you mentioned, Ilkay Gundogan, uh, Rudiger, Kimmich, uh, and uh, yeah, and they've got a couple of amazing, which we'll, we'll mention further, but yeah, just a couple of key standouts would be um, Jamal Musiala, just this uh, underbolt for, for Munich, by Munich. And also, um, yeah, I'll go into more detail a bit, but yeah, Florian uh, Wirtz, who plays for Bayern Leverkusen, um, he's got this phenomenal twinkle-toe talent, ability to dance around defenders. And in fact, he he's injured right now, but in fact, he has got six goals, 10 assists just this season. So he's a big threat and he's only 20 years old. Could be their version of Bellingham. So yeah, what about you, JP? Have you got other... You know, agree on any standouts or any other key highlights? Yeah, I got you got the, I guess the the, the sort of the big ones there. Um, sort of other players I've got in my name on my list. Sorry, some of them are a bit, you know, they're a bit out there. Um, you got Pascal Gross or Brighton, believe it or not, in the German oh. squad. Yeah, <clears throat> quality um, guy. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean. The other player I've got down here, he's not actually part of their squad as of yet, but he's been in there before, is Timo Werner. 
not too yes. convinced by Timo in terms of his goal scoring ability. And actually, their striker was an area I did want to pick up on. I think this, their striker position is actually where they're a little bit weak. Um, I think currently they're playing someone called Bullcrug. I can't. Um, he plays for Brisha Dortmund, um, who's their striker. So he's obviously playing at a very good good level. Yeah. Um, in his last four games for Germany, he has scored four times. However, in the Bundesliga, he's played 18, scored six, I believe, for, yep. for Dortmund. So, um, decent. I, I, w- I mean, it's decent. I wouldn't say it's um, clinical or, a, you know, it doesn't sort of, it's not what Harry Kane's doing, right, in the, in the Bundesliga where he's 18 goals. But I think the striker is an area where they could fall short. And I've actually got a, a player here who's performing fairly well in the Bundesliga German and he hasn't been in there sort of any of Nagelman's squads so far mm-hmm. actually a um I'm not sure if he's still at Brighton but another ex I'm going to say ex Brighton player is Dennis Undav oh uh, Undav yeah who's currently playing at Stuttgart with who are having a brilliant season with their other striker Grassi and they seem to be a bit of a dream duo where you've got Grassi scoring goals, but also Undev, who I believe got had um he's played ten, scored eight, I think. Um but he's also younger than their Germany's current first team striker, Falkrug or whatever his name is. So I feel like there's there's a potential there for Germany to you know, put in Undev and if he keeps up his form, you know, maybe he sort of solves a problem. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you what your thoughts are on around that. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's not long to experiment round, is it? Uh, <laughs> a two 0 loss to Austria and then a three two loss to Turkey in Berlin. Um, prove that they're somewhat lacking a bit of bit of clinical nature, as you said at, at the front. Uh, I noticed also that they they had a different goalkeeper. Um, yeah, crap. Oh, Bra- Trap. Trap. Yeah. Yes. Kevin Trap. So he uh, plays for Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, yeah, a little bit older, 33. Um, only nine appearances for Germany. I don't know whether he was covering for uh, the usual. Ter Stegen. Ter Stegen. Yeah, I, I kind of thought in my head, is he French? But then <laughs> how's that going to work? <laughs> Ter Stegen. Yeah, makes total sense. Not a. Uh... Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, for Barcelona, not their, not their usual um, goalkeeper. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. What else are they vulnerable? I mean, when you do think of Germany, it is the, is the clinical nature. I mean, having Rudiger at the back and Gundogan is kind of the spine, and with Teshtag a, a spine of a team which would be strong. As you said, it's that clinical finish at the end, and then it's in a way what they didn't have perhaps when they played England in the Euros last time. Uh, Muller, for example, Havertz, just um, not executing as you would expect the Germans to do. But yeah, to your point, with these, with the youth coming through, they have strong potential, especially into the next World Cup. Um, but with home advantage, do you think that could be enough to get to the semi-finals? That's, a, that's another question, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think we found from the last Euros, especially with England, that playing at Wembley seemed to help um, and we obviously got we got to the the very last round of the final in, in that Euro so I think it definitely plays a part um, and so I think yeah it's definitely going to definitely help uh, Germany within the next competition I am thinking though third favourites are they going to get to a semi-final do they you know do they have the uh, possibility to be a full strength French side and let's 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 say a full strength English side will will that happen? Um for me it, it depends it depends on the form of Sane and Musiala. Musiala. Um Sane's started really really well for Bayern Munich. Um and I think he's had nine goals within eighteen games um so 
So he's really sort of chipping in with those. And Musiala, I think he's played 11, scored four. I'm looking at their Germany stats. They're not as impressive. I think if they, if Nagelsmann's able to get those guys playing, and you've got a few sort of Bayern Munich attackers in there in terms of Musiala, Sane, Gnabry, so they should have that that chemistry with each other. Um, I think there's the potential. I think I would probably say I'm going to predict. I'm actually going to predict a semi final for them. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think the home advantage will pull them over? Um, I think quarter final. So, you know, they've, they've conceded eight and four. Kai Havertz at left back. You know what we England will do? We'll just pump Bellingham on the right hand side, Kane. It will just destroy it. Trent. What? What? Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep waxing lyrical about England, but you just think defensively they're weak, despite Rudiger, as I said, the spine of the team and, and so forth. Perhaps also, yeah, Trap was playing first choice at that those games. You've got to think, yeah, they'll, they'll be a bit, bit a bit better defensively. True. But yeah, I just think they'll be against a Portugal or, um, you know, Spain, somewhere like that, and they'll, it will go to penalties and it's just an absolute coin toss. So yeah, be, we'll, we'll ask uh, our mate John what he thinks about where Germany will finish. But yeah, quarterfinal and semi-final. I seem, uh, I guess, most likely they've only got one final international break to, I guess, uh, replace the tyres on the car, put sat nav in, and start going. Okay, great. Well, we'll we'll come back next week with another another team uh, in the run up to Euro twenty twenty four, the Euros. So that brings us on to the final segue uh, on this week's episode. The Women's Super League, WSL. So I had the pleasure of going uh, to, to Kings Meadow uh, to watch Chelsea women uh, play Leicester women. Uh, and it's my first WSL match. I went with my friend Emma from uni. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute goal fest. So it finished uh, 5-2, two goals from Lauren James. Uh, and um, just the general gist and atmosphere around the place, it's so friendly uh, for a family uh, game. It's its very inclusive. <clears throat> it's a little bit pricey, funny enough, because I guess Chelsea have won so many. Um, but yeah, they just absolutely adore Emma Hayes, who's leaving to coach the US women's team. Uh, Chelsea seem to be on some, you know, big, I guess, rampage towards winning the title again on 22 points. The only team that probably could stop them is Arsenal. You know, who obviously have uh, Alessia Russo. You know, Chelsea are missing uh, Millie Bright at the moment, who's uh, off injured. Um, But yeah, Chelsea have been uh, so clinical. Lauren James provides so much strength for them. Sam Kerr, as uh, as, uh, I guess some Listeners will remember as obviously Australia's a captain, I believe. Um, Willie enough, Chelsea only have one player from their academy, um, Beaver Jones, who got a, a goal in the final two minutes uh, to beat Leicester five-two. But yeah, just I guess um, a bit about the the experience. So it's obviously not a massive stadium; it's probably about five thousand capacity, and it's more near Kingston in a place called Norberton. And then it's about a 50 minute walk from the station. They've got a lot of mascots. So that's great for family. They've got a bit of a halftime show. And uh, the thing that uh, really stood out to me was that if you just stay at the end, even just for a few minutes, the players will sign. They will take selfies with you. So I got a selfie with a Lauren James. Um, and then also got a selfie from Jess Carter. So she was obviously the right back uh, in Serena Vickman's team. Obviously, Laura James, we didn't mention her red card uh, during the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Um, 
but yeah, it's just um, I'm glad it's getting more coverage. It's certainly got huge potential. It's very entertaining. It's much more fast-paced and exciting than I frankly was expecting. So I'm, I would definitely come back to watch another one, whether it's at Arsenal or at the Emirates. It, yeah, it's it's just starting to get much more coverage. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that that should be a thing for the daughters of the country to think that's another thing I could do, not just, and and also hopefully more 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 financially rewarded than it has been. So yeah, I guess overall I would give it a a solid nine out of ten. I just think it's it's such a good atmosphere, and Chelsea are just a well-oiled machine. But you don't know what they'll they'll do with Emma Hayes leaving them after twelve years. But yeah, do you think JP that could be one we could uh, get you and John over to, to have a watch? Well, I'm definitely definitely intrigued by it and and by your experience um, so far. And yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like to, to go and, and watch a game. Definitely intrigued by your sort of comments around sort of I guess the standards. I think the the stereotypical thing is that from years and years ago is it's not that that very good. I think you no. Know, the games I've seen on TV recently have been really entertaining in the in the women's game and the in the women's internationals. I mean, you've probably got a better attendance at, at um, Kings Meadow than you do at El Hatifax. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Jordan Henderson and Stephen Gerrard's fave. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely probably more atmosphere, and and like you say, um, I get the feeling it's probably more family-friendly um, and a more sort of relaxed atmosphere um, than, the, than the men's game. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely up for, for giving it a go. Uh, it's a nice bovril, um, but the food options, I guess, are a little bit pricey, so I ended up going to Spoons afterwards and getting a katsu. <laughs> so yeah, topped it off for a nice day with Emma. So yeah, def- definitely up for seeing... Uh, probably Arsenal because they're the, I guess the second best team again and, with lots of internationals and how would you say how would you sort of rank sort of Lauren James in terms of football players you've seen before because I know she she does get touted as you know going to be the best player in the world um, and that she's a real sort yep. of big talent within the game obviously I'd have to watch others to to probably compare but in, ter- in terms of this game she she just had an amazing physical presence, an ability just to cut up defences, crosses that were just so poignant, so pointed. Uh, yeah, she's, she just has a very strong physical presence, which creates so much opportunity. She was unlucky probably not to get two more goals, which could have meant it was 7-2. Uh, yeah, she probably is on track to be, yeah, I reckon at least the top three, if not not the best. She's got, you know, Emma Hayes, Serena Wiegmann, what amazing coaches to have in the women's game. Yeah, definitely. And and like you say, it's getting more coverage. I find there's games on sort of at three o'clock on a Saturday when we have the 3pm blackout in, say, the Premier League and Champions League. And so it's great that they, those games are now sort of on, on, on our TVs and on BBC. Um, so I think it's definitely something I'll probably end up watching a lot more and I guess being involved in more as well and something that we can talk about on the pod a bit more, which would be great. I definitely think, yeah, there's a segue for us to go further with it much more. Or if not even like a standalone, because it's, it's that popular now, I think. Still a little way to go, but yeah, it's it's definitely in the right direction. All right, amazing. So we've come to the... We've come to the end of this week's episode. Uh, JP, uh, thank you again. I hope you uh, enjoy giving your mince pie over to uh, Onana. I think I'll probably eat it before that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice <laughs> gift. It's, it's like complimenting bad goalkeeping, but yeah. Uh, but no, great to see you as always, Jeff. Really enjoyed right. it. Yeah, great to see you, JP. Um, solid stuff, really good. Uh, All right. Um, Thanks all for listening. And yeah, definitely join us, please, on the next Two Cents Footy podcast.